you choir for singing the triumphant good news of Christ's resurrection and the blessing that we receive as a part of his resurrection. Um, just in case you're wondering, the water's very warm in the baptistry, uh, and it usually takes me about an hour to cool down after I've been sweating, so as you see the sweat pour, I'm okay. I'm all right. What a gift and a joy to be here today as we celebrate the glorious good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. We'll start a six-week series today. Uh, we will explore the entirety of Paul's 15th chapter in, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it's in this chapter that he explores from multiple angles all that's going on through the resurrection of Jesus. And so uh, we'll get a start today. This is kind of the preliminary uh, introduction to uh, his talk about resurrection in verses 1 through 11. So hear the word of God as found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 11. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaim to you, which you in turn received, in which also you stand, through which also you are being saved. If you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have come to believe. The word of God for the people of God, thanks be to God. Let us pray. O oh Lord, for all that we have been blessed to participate in this morning, we are grateful. You have been speaking to us from the moment we woke up and the moment we walked into this place and throughout this service. We pray that you would continue to speak and give us ears to hear as your word is read and proclaimed. Amen. So several years ago, uh, Thomas and Luke and I were at a pancake uh, house for breakfast, uh, and two uh, vastly different eating styles were on display. So Luke and I like to eat as much as we can, as fast as we can. Thomas is wiser and eats in a more healthy fashion, eating slowly and savoring the flavor. And so as is usually the case, Luke and I uh, went quickly through our meal and we quickly realized, both of us, that Thomas, in all likelihood, was not going to finish his meal. There were going to be leftovers. And we both were mentally calculating how much was going to be left 
over. And then we both realized we were both calculating how much was going to be left over. And then we stared at each other for just a moment. And I said, those leftovers are mine because I'm paying for this meal. <laughs> and Luke said, it's not your money. It's God's money. <laughs> and God wants me to have that piece of bacon. <laughs> Crisis was averted when there was a leftover piece of bacon and a leftover pancake. We both were happy. And so we, all of us, in tiny, trivial ways around the breakfast table and in ways of much greater and deeper significance, want what we do not have, and we covet. And when someone else wants what we do not have, more often than we'd like to admit, we scheme and we manipulate and we uh, work hard so not just that we get it, but so that that other person doesn't get it. And before we realize it, we are treating a fellow creature made in the image of God as a competitor for scarce goods instead of as a neighbor with whom we share in God's great abundance. And we fall short of God's glory and we fail to love in the ways that we were made and created to love. The Bible calls these actions, the Bible call this, calls this condition sin. And our sins separate us from God. They separate us from each other. And through sin, we fail to live in right relationship with God and right relationship with each other. And that snowballs. And it has been snowballing throughout human history so that we human beings have made a mess of God's good world and good creation that we've been called and charged to be good stewards of. And we've made a mess of our human communities, whichever communities we've been a part of. And we've made a mess more often than not of our own lives. But the good news of the gospel is that God doesn't dismiss us because of the mess we've made of things. Instead, God comes to the world in human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, fully God and fully human, and makes a way for our relationships to be restored, for that separation between us and God to be bridged, for our broken relationships with each other to be healed. And so in Christ, God is making a way, not just for the messes to be cleaned up, but for new life to be birthed in each of us and in our church and in our world. It's called the new creation. God through Christ is making a way for new life to emerge. How does he do it? How does God do it? First Corinthians chapter five, verse 21 says, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. God, the Father, through the Spirit, pours the sinfulness of humanity, your sins and mine, pours into Jesus on the cross our brokenness, our pain, and our suffering. On the cross, Jesus takes all of the evil of the world and all of the power of sin and of Satan and of death. 
He takes it into himself, becoming sin. And on the third day, as God raises him from the dead, he defeats the power of sin. It lays buried in the tomb. As Christ walks away from the tomb, lives again our glorious king we have sung just a moment ago. And through faith in Jesus Christ, we enter into his victory. We receive it. We live it. We become a part of the new creation. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. And then as we think of where Jesus was buried and thus where he was raised, it was in a garden. His tomb was in a garden. And so when he raised, when God raises him to new life, he's raised in a garden symbolizing the new creation that God has brought about through this, through this earth-shattering, transforming resurrection of Jesus Christ. Something wonderfully new is on the loose in the world through the resurrection of Christ and there is new creation and we, as we follow and trust him, become new creatures and then we get in on the work helping others to see the new creation that's already been birthed and that will one day come in its fullness when Christ returns. Ella has already given witness to what this is all about. She's embraced Jesus by faith. And then in the waters of baptism, she's gone underneath the water, symbolizing Jesus' death and his burial. And and then she's come above the water, symbolizing new life in Christ, raised to walk in newness of life, we say. And she has given us an example of what it means to give our lives to Christ, to set the course of the rest of our lives as we follow him into the new creation as the new creatures that we are. Ella has given a witness to us today. If you have not done so, if you have not embraced Jesus by faith and been baptized the way our sister Ella was baptized today, showing forth that she is a new creation and that there is new creation all around us, if, if you haven't done that, what's holding you back? Could today be the day when you become that new creature and give your life to Jesus? Well, it seems like the Corinthians have done so. Uh, Paul begins the, the passage. He says, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaimed to you, which you received and which you stand, through which you are being saved, if, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. Here's what's going on here when Paul says, unless you have come to believe in vain, we'll look in more detail at this next week as we explore verses uh, 13 through 19, 12 through 19. There are some people in the Corinthian church who do not believe that God raises people from the dead. They do not believe in resurrection. They do not believe that Christ has been raised. And so Paul says in verse 17, if that's the case, then your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Because as important as it is that Jesus takes upon himself our sins and all of the evil and hate of sin and the devil and the demonic and all of that, as important as that is, death and sin and the devil are not defeated until Christ is raised from the dead. Again, we'll explore this next week. And so Paul is using this entire chapter 
chapter 15 to show exactly why it is important that Christ is risen from the dead. But in this passage, our introductory passage to the chapter, he simply reminds them of what he's preached to them. He gives them a summary of that in verses 3 and 4. I would remind you that uh, that, Christ on the, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and he was buried. And on the third day, he rose in accordance with the scriptures. Paul reminds them of the message. And then to those who are choosing not to believe that Christ is raised, he begins to tell of the witnesses. He says in verse 5, he, Jesus appeared to Cephas, another name for Peter, then to the 12, verse 6. He appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive. He appeared to James, verse 7, and to all the apostles. In other words, Paul is saying to the Corinthians who do not believe that Christ is raised from the dead, I've got about 500 people, 500 names and addresses that I can show you. And they'll tell you what they've seen with their own eyes. They'll tell you that they've seen Christ, the risen Lord, Jesus risen from the dead. Now, they'll tell you, Paul is implying, and he'll go into more detail in this later in the chapter, they'll tell you that Jesus, they've seen, they recognize him. Sometimes it takes them a while, but they recognize him. But they'll also tell you he's different. It's Jesus, but... But somehow he can appear in rooms where the doors are locked. It's Jesus. He eats fish. He's got a body. But it's a different kind of body, these witnesses will tell you, Corinthians. Because when God raises Jesus from the dead, he doesn't raise him just as he was. He raises him as a transformed, resurrected Lord. Fully Enfleshed with a resurrection body, still him, but his body is no longer susceptible to death, no longer susceptible to pain and hurt and, and suffering. It's really Jesus, but he's transformed. Hallelujah. Well, some of you may be aware of a... Uh, huge worldwide cultural event that kicks off this Thursday evening. Uh, there's a movie premiere, Avengers Endgame, any Marvel Cinematic Universe fans in here. And the movie industry analysts are predicting that this movie will make more money than any movie in the history of movies. They're predicting that more people will watch this movie than any other movie to this day, the, the last one a year ago made $2 billion. They're saying this one might make $3 billion. Here's the plot. It's pretty huge. It's pretty fantastic. You've got, I don't know, 20 plus superheroes. Pick your favorite if you have them. But you've got 20 plus superheroes who in the last movie failed to defeat the evil villain. And the evil villain somehow, some strange ways that only comic books can come up with, the evil villain achieves the power of life and death. And he causes the deaths of half the earth's population, including a whole bunch of the superheroes. And so this movie Thursday, somehow we're gonna find out how the superheroes defeat the evil villain. 
Uh, one hope and one prediction that I have for the movie. Here's the hope that Captain Marvel, who had our own movie last month, my hope is that she saves the day. That's just, I'm just saying. That, that's what I hope happens. But here's the prediction. The prediction is somehow, some way, the superheroes will find a way to bring all these people who've died back to life. Don't know how they'll do it. Maybe it's time travel. Who knows? But that's the prediction. If I'm wrong, you can come talk to me and, I don't know, tease me next week. But that's my prediction, that they will all come back to life. And if my prediction is true, if in Avengers Endgame all those who died in Infinity War are brought back to life, guess what? They will be just like they were before they died. They, they will be just brought back to life, but they will not have been changed. Here's the crucial thing about the resurrection of Jesus. God doesn't just resurrect his corpse and make him the way he was. God raises him incorruptible. God raises him with a physical body that's still him, but he's different. No longer susceptible to suffering and pain and death. And here's something else that Paul will explore later in the chapter. We'll look at it in two weeks. That when Christ returns, you and I will receive the same kinds of resurrected bodies that Jesus had. Paul in various places calls him the firstborn of the dead, uh, from the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, he calls him the first fruits. Again, we'll talk about this more in the next couple of weeks, but, but we will be raised to serve our Lord together in God's new creation, heaven and earth becoming one as we fulfill our created destiny to be the people that God would have us be. But here's how Paul explains it as he wraps up this introductory part of the chapter, he gives his own personal testimony. He says, last of all, verse eight, as to one untimely born, Jesus, the risen Lord, appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. So here's the evidence that Paul presents that there is a new creation loose in the world. Here's the evidence that Paul presents that there's a new power, resurrected power at work in the world. Paul says, the evidence is me. When you think about it, the person who's trying to kill the followers of Jesus is a person still loved by Jesus. A person who works against the purposes of Jesus is the person Jesus chooses to continue his work in the world. Something new is happening. Something wonderful is it loose in the world. It's the grace of God through the power and presence of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And, and if Jesus loves someone who killed his followers, that means Jesus loves you and he loves me in all the mess that we've made. It means something new is at work in the world. Something's loose. New creation, new power. God at work bringing about God's purposes for this creation. Now, when we receive 
God's new life through the resurrection of Jesus through faith, when we enter into this new creation that he's making, when we begin that wait for the return of Jesus, when he fully establishes the kingdom and we finally fully experience the new creation and creatures that we are, as we enter into that life, Paul says it won't be easy. This resurrection life doesn't mean you're exempt from pain and suffering, doesn't mean bad things won't happen to you. And it doesn't mean a life of ease for you. It means a life of incredibly hard work. Paul puts it this way, he says, I worked harder than any of them. He's not bragging, he just says, I worked hard, I'm working hard. Once I experienced the grace of Jesus, I've never worked harder. He's experienced hardships, he'll talk about later in the chapter. He's given his all so that the message can be proclaimed and received. He's, he's totally sold out to working hard for this new creation, this kingdom of God, this risen Lord that has encountered him and that loves him. He works hard and yet he also realizes that it's really the grace of God working in him. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. It's this, this wonderful tension that we live in as followers of Jesus. Jesus has done all of the work, and he continues to do all the work in us through the Holy Spirit, and yet we have to work hard to become what we already are and to, to do the work of the new creation and of the kingdom in our world. Jesus doesn't call us to a life of ease or an easy life. When we embrace him by faith, we enter into a life of vigorous participation in the ongoing work of God. Long, long time ago, don't remember when it happened, but long time ago, uh, I hurt my shoulder, left shoulder. And over the last 10 years, it's progressively gotten worse. Uh, this year, I couldn't shoot a basketball, so I figured it's probably about time for me to get some physical therapy. Uh, so I started physical therapy a couple of weeks ago, and uh, all the stretches and all these exercises, and it's really going well. And, and I'm very hopeful that I'll be able to uh, return to normal range of motion with my left shoulder. Um, and so I do exercises at home, and then you go to the physical therapy place, and you do the exercises there. And, and it really goes well at the physical therapy place until the very end where the physical therapist does what he's supposed to do and stretches my shoulder and my arm in ways that I don't want him to stretch. You know, you're supposed to just kind of let your arm hang loose and just trust the person and let them stretch. And, you know, it's one thing to say that. It's another thing to do that when your shoulder is screaming in pain. So I don't look forward to that. Well, here's another thing about this place where I'm getting physical therapy. They play great music, or at least music that I like. They play the Beatles all the time, any Beatles fans among us. They play uh, 1970s easy listening music, which I love. Perfect soundtrack for me to stretch, maybe not for you, but perfect for me. And so the torture session was about to begin earlier this week. And, and my shoulder is about to be pressed in ways that I think are highly unnatural, but I trust the person. And just as the pain begins, I hear through the speakers the wonderful guitar and voice of James Taylor, one of my favorite artists. 
And the song that's played is a little known psalm, but one that I've loved over the years called The Secret of Life. And so I'm in this tremendous pain and James Taylor's soothing voice says, the secret of life is enjoying the passage of time. I was not enjoying the passage of time at that moment. And then throughout the song, he has this refrain. refrain. He, he talks about, uh, uh, isn't it a lovely ride? He talks about life. Isn't it a lovely ride? And he says, uh, try not to try too hard, speaking of life. It's just a lovely ride. If he had walked into that place while I was stretched out with my healthy shoulder, I would have thrown something at him because I was not enjoying a lovely ride at that moment. And many of us right now or in the past have learned that life is not always a lovely ride. Some of us have experienced unimaginable pain. Some of us have experienced grief that just goes to the depths of our being and we don't know how we're gonna make it. The only reason we do is because of what Paul says in verses three and four, we believe that Christ died for our sins and he was buried and he was raised on the third day. And then there are people in places all around us where life is not a lovely ride. And because we believe in new creation and because we follow and serve a risen Lord, we participate in the Holy Spirit's work. We work harder, as hard as we possibly can to help in some way reveal the new creation and give witness to God's kingdom. Many other people around us are hurting and so we invite them who know life isn't always a lovely ride to follow Jesus with us and to receive grace and forgiveness and the strength to make it through their trials and the invitation to use their gifts in the ongoing work of God. And instead of trying not to try too hard so that we can enjoy a lovely ride, we work as hard as we possibly can to give witness to the new creation. We work as hard as we possibly can for God's kingdom as we pray and as we live the prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in Huntington as it is in heaven. But as we work and work and work, we do so knowing the most important work has already been done on the cross and at the empty tomb. We work hard knowing that our work reveals the new creation that's already here and that will one day be fully revealed for all to see. We work hard knowing that it's really the grace of God at work in and through us by the Holy Spirit. We work hard, we worship, we witness, we embrace the times when life is a lovely ride and we endure the many times when it's not because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.